Hello and welcome to the Life on This Podcast and it is me, Sanderson, and in this show we explore the questions of spirituality, congregation and community, but from a totally secular perspective. So whether you are faithful... <laughs> Or of no faith. Look at that, little uh, infidels. I just really hadn't made the connection between infidelity and uh, infidels there, but just did. Then uh, that's what we're going to go and explore. Those are like the big questions. And we interview thinkers, scientists, like authors and comedians. And today we have got Tez Ilias on. Tez is an amazing comic. I gigged with him when that is sort of what I did full time. And uh, he is uh, has been on live at the Apollo. He has been on uh, Man Like Mobin, the BBC Three show. He uh, has been on, uh, has his uh, own show, Tez Talks. And what's, uh, he's really well known as for being a sort of, uh, I suppose, a public face of uh, Islam in a way, of people who are sort of talking about their faith in a far more open way. And so he's really funny. And what was amazing about this conversation is it went in a different direction to what I thought it would. Like we, uh, I thought it'd be a bit more sort of like a sociological look at, you know, what it's like to sort of grow up in the UK when you're a Muslim, because he's just written a book on that. And then it just became about, you know, what are the sort of functions of his faith? What are the things that he does? And it was a real wake-up call for James and I, because we do a lot of reading about this uh, stuff. We're very involved in questions of faith and the like, and uh, just realised I had a big gap in my knowledge about some pretty basic things in Islam. And so... It is a wonderful conversation. I absolutely loved it. I can't wait for us to discuss it in our community, where the Lifefulness community, if you go to lifefulness.io forward slash membership, you can go and find out more. We go and gather online to uh, discuss these podcasts and the ideas which are brought up with them. I can't wait to talk about this one. So uh, I'm going to get out of the way and introduce Tez Ilias, uh, who will be speaking with me and my co-host, James Croft. Hey, Tez. Uh, how's it going? How are you? Hello, Sanderson. I'm good. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Hello, James. Hello, Millie, George, Mohammed, George. Uh, I think also at the bottom without an E. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hello, everybody. Uh, how are you today, Tez? What's been happening? I'm good. Um, I've been fasting today. Hence, uh, my slightly slack timekeeping. And for those of you not familiar with Islam, uh, which I think will be the vast majority in here. So it's called Shabbi Barat which is the night of forgiveness and so it proceeds so it's two weeks out from ramadan so about two weeks maybe 15 16 days out from ramadan and it's a night in which we um pray to god for forgiveness and it's the night where traditionally traditionally god sets out for us what we will achieve not achieve in the next 12 months who's gonna die who's gonna be born all that sort of thing so it's the night of like what it's a slate like like writing the slate of what's going to happen in the next year so he kind of asks for forgiveness and he asks for like blessings and nice things to happen to you over the next 12 months and you know health and all that sort of stuff and then and then you fast the next day one of the things that we wanted to speak about uh, is that you know so the life on this podcast we go and interview all manner of different types of people scientists sort of uh, authors, uh, comedians as well. And we've got a particular sort of sphere of in interest in that James and I, we both run 
congregations, but we're not religious. And so we're often going and looking at what we can learn from different faith traditions and actually just understanding them more. And so we'd love to speak to you about that. But also, I think the first time I gigged with you was actually at a pub, which I was like, how on earth did Tez do so well there when most of the people with St. George's crosses tattooed on their sleeves and flags outside would rather he didn't live in the country and yet you absolutely <laughs> smashed it in the Robin Hood pub in Tunbridge Wells. I remember that gig, you know, and I remember going back to that gig because I always, I did that gig about four or five times and I always remember having a really nice time there. The last time I went, I did a gig, I did a gag about the EDL and and there were a bit of murmurs and a bit oh because i'd never noticed it because they always really enjoyed my performances i kind of was ignorant to the aesthetics of the room and what everyone was wearing and stuff and then and then yeah this, i did a gag about the edl and they were like, oh, 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 a couple of walkouts and i was like yeah. <laughs> What's i'm quite there? far from north london <laughs> Yeah, and then and then and then one of the guys, one of one of the regulars who'd always been very complimentary about my comedy and stuff, he just came up to me at the end and he was like, in a very nice, not even in a like sort of threatening way, just in a sort of like in a, in a, some sort of chummy sort of like, oh mate, you're you're a nightmare there, haven't you? <laughs> oh. <laughs> like almost almost kind of like read the room, mate. Yeah. Um and then and then he lifted his um jumper up and he had like an EDL badge there and like a like a St. George's flag uh tattoo, and I was like, Oh, suddenly, like I've been walking from the Matrix, and I suddenly I could see everything, and I was like, "Ah, oh, shit!" I had a version of that which was quite different, but uh, maybe spares yeah, we have some similarities, some dissimilarities. But it was my best mate's wedding, and uh, he has married a uh, he converted to Islam, and uh, he's loving it. Uh, and he so there were quite a lot of ups and downs in order to get to that situation. Uh, anyway, he got married uh, in uh, Sardinia because that was a convenient place for all of her relations to park their yachts. Uh, so it was like a ridiculous, like utterly crazy wedding, the like of which I've never... Where, where was uh, she from? Places with oil wells. And... Uh, okay, cool. Yeah, 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 and there was this one time I was the it was before the like before the wedding we were in the billionaires boys club which is owned by the Flavio Briatore the guy who used to own Benetton and and then and then there were suddenly sparklers and then a tune started playing Flavio Briatore is in the house he's got his own like house track entrance music in his club called the Billionaires Boys Club like and the, anyway like WWE wrestling yeah like, 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 yeah. like that's what, I, that's what <laughs> I was thinking if you smell <laughs> what the rock is people's cooking. elbow coming down yeah. the and now. well there was a sort of vague wrestling connection and I was, I was standing next to one bloke I'm quite tall I'm six foot four this guy was tall and he was like but house-like and I was like god whew, whew, uh, nice to meet you mate he's like That's a, you're, you're really big and I went and he was like I go so what's your name and he was like Vladimir and I was like oh that's really interesting really what do you do and he was like boxing and I was like oh it's Vladimir Klitschko. He didn't even, even he didn't have his song. And so anyway, this <laughs> wedding is nothing like any nothing like my normal life. And before the wedding, and I was like on my best behavior because like lots of you know, there's lots of things leading up to this point. 
And then before I did the speech, like I had a really big beard at the time. And one of her cousins said, I love your beard. You have the biggest beard in this whole wedding and it is full of Muslims. You, you're the British Osama bin Laden. And I was just like, I was like, oh, I was like, if it was, if it was this was a different <laughs> wedding, I would make that, I'd, that'd be a funny joke to make. But anyway, let's not bring it up. You, you're almost like, oh. <laughs> They like oh, me. Thank you so much. <laughs> Takes up, rolls up you his know, shirt, shows the tattoo. The, the only other time I've had a sort of like another similar sort of like, like pe real penny drop moment um, was at the, uh, there was an O2 festival uh, in Hyde Park in London and it was 2007, eight or nine around then. And, uh, and Pink was on and I was, and I was with my friend and you know, Pink's an amazing performer. And I just suddenly noticed in this audience, like I was getting a lot, because I'm a, like, I, I like dancing and stuff. And, and I realized I was getting a lot of attention, a lot of eyes. And even like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, the, I'm a confident guy, but even I was a bit like, wow, I am doing really well here. Like all these, all these women are really giving me the eye. And then my friend was like, we're at a pink gig. And I was like, yeah. And she went, just look again. Ah, <laughs> oh, they're all lesbians, yeah. they're all lesbians. Okay, they're all lesbians. Yeah, okay, they're all really lesbians. Sure. Okay. Hello, okay. Okay, 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 okay. They're just admiring the moves, not not anything else. Okay, cool. Good. Okay, I'm not only enjoying pink. That's uh, and, fine. Anywho, so this guy said that, and I always had split best man duties. And then my other mate, he said, the first time I met uh, her family, they said, you, you're like a cousin to us. Your new name is Hassan. And that's what they when they met my mate Dave, that's what they said to him. And I was like, well, now I can joke at myself by saying when their cousins met me, they said I was the British Osama Bin Laden. So I was like, that makes sense. You can make that joke because of the setup from Dave. I made the joke. And then, and I was like, it's sort of like, no, there were laughs. There were laughs. What I didn't realize is there was like, Table 48 was exclusively Bin Laden's and they they were at the wedding and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> so anywho, yeah, the, uh, I mean, there, there are there are a thousand of them. Statistically, yeah, it's unlike there. there's always one. It's like <laughs> DJs in London. There's always one within 20 meters of you. We have talked around a lot of things. And in, in terms of introducing the podcast, we've almost run through the whole thing. Uh, the first question that we always ask our guests is, tell us about the religious, spiritual or philosophical background to your childhood. Cool. Uh, well, I am Muslim, um, Sunni Muslim. I was brought up in the traditional Sunni faith. It, it was weird. We kind of had a very sort of dogmatic approach to it growing up. It was kind of like you go, so we, we attended after school mosque classes originally started off in a woman's house because that's the area we lived in we went to a woman's house but most british children uh muslim british children that i know anyway would go to after school madrasa madrasa uh, so they'd go to a mosque and they'd learn the arabic so they'd learn how to pray phonetically the quran and learn how to pray there's a lot of five times a day uh prayer that we do and they'd learn that as well and they'd learn you know the sort of the big rights and wrongs you know don't drink don't do this don't like all that sort of they'd learn all of that stuff spirituality came much later i think i think spirit Spirituality comes in the sort of um, is when you start discovering it for yourself, the sense of meaning and stuff. Because, yeah, I think I think what we we did have a very dogmatic approach to this. Sort of like you believe this because you know there's 
and I always accepted it. I was like, there's a God and there, there is a God. And there's, and, and also like, this country was also a lot more religious when I was growing up. Not that it was, it wasn't, it wasn't Texas, but it was still, it was still a church going country in the eighties. Um, so I accepted it like they're Christian, I'm Muslim. And we got some, we've probably got some Hindus over there, maybe some Jews over there. But you know, I didn't, the concept of atheism didn't exist in my lexicon probably until college, I'd say. So in terms of, but in terms of spirituality itself, yeah, there were times where I remember being in the mosque in the, like at 10 years old and we shut our eyes and do late night like meditation sessions and late night zikr contemplation and prayers and stuff and they were really really good and like you really shut your eyes and and the imam would do like the most powerful prayer asking for forgiveness and and all that sort of stuff and I remember that was always really moving but in terms of like the actual essence of like why do I believe what I believe and what does that mean to me that probably came at a later age. And that's really interesting I'm, I'm fascinated because so many people in this country don't really have an understanding of or a lot of people might not have an understanding of what does it actually feel like to be in a intense contemplative prayer session where you hear a really powerful prayer and so what was that like what were the physical sensations like what did you experience when either that happens or maybe even today just to I'm always fascinated by that. It's a very interesting question because I've never, because I've always taken it for granted and I've always been there. I've never really asked myself that. I never, I never come up thinking, what were my physical sensations when I was going through that? I remember it being very, I always remember it being very powerful whenever I've gone through it. But I've never stopped thinking about like, what was I, what was I feeling in that moment? I'm very much like, um, whenever someone asks me to describe a feeling, I always feel like slightly out of my death in the same way that when you're watching the Bake Off and <laughs> the way the way food programs describe yeah, food, yeah, yeah, and you're like, I would, I would never know to use those adjectives for salt and pepper. That's, I, I just feel like that in about descriptions in general. Like I'm just, I'm like, oh, how, how do you feel? That I mean, there definitely is a physical sensation, but I'm just, I'm just, I'm just thinking about how to how to describe it. There's definitely like an elevated thinking, and there's definitely a spiritualness that enters you. Um, but I can describe what was happening, and then hopefully I can weave maybe. Maybe I can read in some descriptions uh, as I'm doing that. So, you know, we all, in the mosque, we famously sit on the floor. We leave our shoes in the corridor or outside and we all sit on the floor, either on our knees or cross-legged um, or just uncomfortably, if you're me, because uh, I don't have that skill. As a, as a, as a, as a South Asian, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a re- it's a real defect in my genes. And yeah, and, and so we do the, and this, this happens like maybe once or twice a year. So these, these special nights. So one of them was, one of them would have been Shabib, one of them, one of them would have been last night, Shabib Rad, uh, but obviously because of lockdown, we we're all just doing it at home. Uh, and one of them is on is doing Ramadan, the 27th night of Ramadan. It's another powerful big night for us. Um, and yeah, so we, we sort of we do the regular standard prayers that you're supposed to do. They finish, and then the, the Imam will stand up and do a lecture explaining what the night is, do some sort of story with some meaning. Um, and quite often growing up, those would be in Urdu because the imams would be shipped in from abroad. So they'd be, they'd, they'd be, they'd be Pakistani and then they do, they do them in Urdu. And so after a while, you try and follow it but after a while because you're a kid, you just switch off. And so you just, you just sit in the mosque, just, just a bit tired, just thinking about, I don't know what would have been thinking about Blackburn Rovers, what a school, homework, or whatever. Um, thinking about life in general. And then at some point, then they'd go into the actual prayer uh, and then everyone suddenly they switch the lights off. So it's pitch black, tell you to, they tell you to close your eyes. Um, they do they do the zikr, which is kind of like um, Sufi inspired chanting. Um, so like Allah who Allah who. And is Allah, he doing Allah, and that's... are you doing who, or are you both doing it? No, the, Allah. 
No, we both. So we do it. So we yeah, we, we both. Okay. We both, we both. Oh, great. There's not like. <laughs> I don't know. It makes you. It makes makes you yeah, like yeah, a so football chant. Like... Who the fuck is it? <laughs> it's, not like, it's not. It's not like. It's not like that. It's uh. So we both, we're doing it together. It's sort of like spiritual, sort of this religious chanting, and you're encouraged to kind of in my mosque anyway. We could kind of encourage like rock back and forth as well with it. So that's really cool. Um, I know there are other forms of Sunni Islam that kind of frown upon that sort of practice. So like your Saudi kind of. Wahhab, just Saudi Wahhabist Salafi types, they kind of frown upon that sort of spiritual Sufi practice that other people do, but that's 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 our side, that's what we do. Um, and yeah, you get really into it. As a kid, the first time I saw it, I laughed because you know, when you're, when you're a kid and you see something new, like I remember the first time, oh god, it's awful. I remember the first time there was a family, um, death, it was it was my mom's aunt had died, she's not someone that I remember, but it was my mom's aunt, my mom's dad's sister who died in Pakistan and you know she's very upset and then suddenly someone came into the house to greet her and my mom just started they met they, they like clasped each other and then they started wailing and I'd never heard anyone wail before and I just I had to leave the room because I was I was I would have been eight and I remember I, I remember I had to leave the room because I felt <laughs> Because I'd never, I'd never heard someone wail before. My, my, so my, like my best mates, like now all of his family, they'll be on a night out or something great will happen. Be, like, like it's a proper sort of thing. You're like, oh wow, I didn't realize. I, I thought that was a huge stereotype. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing when you see it, when you hear it and see it in person. It's incredible. Um, yeah. So, so the first time I remember seeing the zikr, the chanting, I, I, I like I just stifled the laughter because I was like, I'd never seen it before and as you're a kid and you're like this is new but then when you started doing it, and also as a kid when you started doing it you're like you're, you're coming with the kids going who can go left to right the fastest you know who's 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 putting the most energy into this you know who's trying to get the most out of it so that's sort of competitiveness but as the years go by and you get more used to doing it and you actually start to get something out of it that does it does there is a feeling at one point where you feel it you almost have like an out of body experience and you're almost watching or feeling yourself sort of slightly elevated um and i think that's also the skill of the practitioner so the person leading the chanting like like a good meditate like a good uh, someone who's leading a meditation like you know someone who knows what they're doing um yeah if they can get the room in that right space if they can get the atmosphere right like it, it can be otherworldly that sounds yeah, like I've, that yeah that sounds really uh i can totally imagine and to, for it to be in the dark as well so you're sensing and so how many people might you be doing it with well like what are your memories as a kid so i reckon in that room there would have been oh, i'm trying to do sort of best guesting but now probably and about 400 people maybe that's a lot yeah 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 and it's not a huge it wasn't a huge bill so it was packed it wasn't 400 people you know sparsely in this huge whatever but it was 400 people packed in lights off trying to do this and then and then you go straight from the chanting into a prayer and then when you're in that mood as well then the prayer just the prayer just means more because you feel like you know you've been calling to God, so it just feels so it just feels closer. That's amazing, James. You have, I mean, obviously in your job, you're you're doing this in your way, and you've studied all these things. Like, what does that bring to mind when you go and hear that? Because I've never. We were talking earlier about how even in our learning and reading, you know, we we don't haven't dived into as much scholarship about uh, Islam, uh, and yeah, I'm just wondering what what does that bring to mind when you hear that. Well, it's one of the things, like you were saying, Sonison, that when you come from a 
Western background where most of your religious touchstones tend to be Christian or at least, well, yeah, usually Christian. I think it's probably true for both Sons and I. There's a lot of lack of knowledge about other religious traditions and the practices. The thing that comes to mind most clearly for me is some time that I spent chanting the Hare Krishna with a Hare Krishna group in New York City. And just the change in consciousness that comes over you when you chant repeatedly in a group setting is not like anything I've experienced before. I don't know how to uh, describe it really, but uh, it's a very powerful experience. So I'm saying it is difficult to yeah. describe. But I think there's always these things which can, it can seem a bit like over there, like whatever people might be able to do. And often, and it took me a while to realize, to be able to go meet someone from, you know, let's say meet a Muslim and they say, I'm going to mosque, you know, is your imam good? And then they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah she is good. I really like him. He's friendly. And they're just so confused that it's not, it's not the total end of a conversation. I don't, I don't think I've ever asked any of your mum. <laughs> How's your mum? Is your mum? Like, uh, it's an awful question. Like, no, it's not. It's actually quite interesting. Yeah. I think we might be like, what is okay, your mum like? That's what I'd ask. I think it's a question. Is a question we might ask. But is your mum good? Is a very funny question. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'd answer. Like, maybe. I, I, I mean, I'd be like, uh, 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 what? <laughs> uh, ping pong. You know, the, the big thing. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. At, at the at the speeching, at the speeches, at the praying or like if you yeah. go and think like at the moment you're so now you live in Blackburn I'm not going to ask you is your imam good because it might get you in trouble <laughs> but like uh, like what are like in a sermon is it more like a lecture like what when you go and have a really great uh like what what do you call it what does the imam say so so, so the fr so the Friday prayer is where they do the sermon otherwise we pray so we pray five times a day and those are just standard regular prayers um and you can either do them in the mosque or you can do them at home. Obviously, during lockdown, we're doing them at home, but you kind of encourage to do them at the mosque during normal during normal times. Uh, and then on Friday is you know is our Friday's our Sunday is, uh, is 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 where we do one of the, the the early afternoon prayer is replaced by the the sort of big prayer, um, and that is where the Imam will do a sermon, the Friday sermon, um, and that is kind of so even if you don't regularly, even though you, like as a Muslim you have to pray five times a day, it's kind of the discipline for that is very up and down with, with most modern people, I'd say. But the Friday one, most most people will try and even even your casuals, and then we have a then we have a big prayer on Eid. So the two Eids we have, there's a big prayer in the mornings for Eid, and then your super casuals, you know, that you're barely clinging on. <laughs> they'll 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 be there at the Eid prayer. Yeah, yeah, so they, they'll be there at the Eid prayer. So everyone turns up. As a performer, one. do you sometimes watch like an imam and you're like, oh, come on, mate, you've got, like, you're really leaving. This is your oh, big you day. Know what? You know what? This, this is what, this, this might get me in trouble, though. But as a, as, a, as, a, as a performer, there is one thing that annoys me. And I think it might be specifically about Pakistani mosques. Um, they put reverb on the, on the speaker and it's, it pisses me off. Because I'm like, why, why is this speech, when I was younger, I didn't have the language, I didn't, I didn't know to call it reverb, I was just like, why is it equi? That's what, that was my thing, I was like, why is it, why is, why is it equi, that sort of thing, but it's just, a, it's just an aesthetic and an effect that, that they like, but I hate it, like it puts me up, I can't listen to the speech. Like spoken word isn't like calligraphy, it doesn't get better if you yeah, go yeah. and sort of like fucking yeah, around yeah, a lot, yeah, yeah, I want yeah. to understand yeah, all yeah. of the bits, please. Yeah, 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 and I'm like, you know, because back in the day when, 
you know, the prophet converted an entire region without reverb. <laughs> so why, why do you need reverb on the speak on the speakers? Um, I understand why you need speakers. Yes. Sure, you know, there's a yeah. lot of people in the room. Cool. It, you know, you save your voice. That's that's fine. Absolutely no problem with that. But I think it's a very because it's not when I went to when I went on Hajj when I went uh, to, on pilgrimage. They don't have it. They don't have it in Mecca and Medina. They don't have reverb there, so I think it's a. I think it's a Pakistani setup. I, I love this. Is like a bit of stand-up where you're like, oh, I just uh, really don't think I'm going to be able. There's going to be many clubs which uh, with the. <laughs> have you ever noticed in uh, Pakistani mosques the way they use too much <laughs> reverb? Anyone? Anyone? But it's it's interesting though. Am I right? <laughs> it is some. There is something about how religious spaces try and use aesthetics in a very conscious way to enhance the message and that's like the it's the physical layout of the space and it's what people are wearing but it can also be how people speak i mean something i've seen a lot in evangelical churches here in the united states is they have like a live backing track that goes along with the sermon and it will swell at moments of intensity and it will come back when it's more contemplative. And I always think, wow, I want that in my place. Like we've got an, an old organ, but we don't have someone there to kind of improvise along with what I'm saying. But it's interesting how religions try and aestheticize experience in that way. And I'm interested, like even the five prayers that when you said that, you know, so we've got the standard five prayers. And I was like, I don't know. Like I, this is slightly my job. And uh like what are the five prayers? Uh, so we have um, <clears throat> it's an interesting story. Interesting story behind the five prayers, actually. So the reason the reason why there's five, and actually cover this. There's a story about this in my book where I, where I tell the story of why we have five prayers. Because I was like, why why five? Why not three? Why not twenty? So on the night when the prophet um, had his miraculous journey to so the, the journey that the prophet took to Jerusalem, uh, and it was a, it was a night it was called the Ascension, um, and the prophet went to um traveled to Jerusalem it's like a miraculous journey that happened in one night and then from there he ascended to from up there he ascended to heaven where he met God and God and you know they had a, they had a conversation I guess uh, and God commanded him to tell the people that they must pray 50 times a day <laughs> so Muhammad so the prophet Muhammad peace be upon him five yeah. zero yeah so the prophet Muhammad peace be upon him was coming back down uh, and then he bumped into prophet Moses uh, peace be upon him and the prophet Moses. So do you said, have to do peace be upon him for all the prophets? I only thought it was no. I do. I do. When, yeah, no, for all of them. Yeah, 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 for all of them. Um, so he met he, he met the prophet Moses and uh, prophet Moses said, "That's mate. That's not gonna. It's too much of that. That's you know your people are not gonna be able to do that." So then the prophet went back to God and he said, "You know, I'm feeling like maybe the maybe that be, be too much. <laughs> maybe the people won't be able to do that." So then God, so then he came back and he came back with 45. And then Moses again said, it's too, I, you know, I've li lived with people. It's he much. tried that on me last time. He gave me 500 of the fucking <laughs> commandments to begin with. <laughs> so he went back with 40 and then he came back and he, and he kept going down and down until eventually he went down to five. And then the prophet Muhammad came back and prophet Moses said again, five too many. They won't even manage to five. And at that point, probably man was like, I feel embarrassed. Now. If I go back and ask for less, I will feel embarrassed. So it's going to be five. And then therefore it became five. So the one one is before um, dawn. So before sunrise. Uh, so couple, I think it, you can start, you can read it. The, like, the, there's only windows to read it within. So it's like two hours before sunrise up to sunrise. Um, and then it's just after uh, the highest point. Uh, so just afternoon until about mid-afternoon. So that's the second prayer. 
And then the third prayer is mid-afternoon till sunset. That's the third prayer. Then the fourth prayer is just after sunset. And then the fifth prayer is at night. Um, so they're the, they're the five prayers. And they're all, they all vary slightly in length. Um. Get it. So for me, life, being alive is my vibe. Uh, and that... So when I'm reading about this Christian monk, say that like he likes to pray in order to go and it means that, you know, it brings him into God's presence, etc. And the way what I learn from that is actually if you if I go and take time to think about the fact that I'm alive, this thing which really has given me everything that I've got, I'm just so beyond excited that I'm alive, will be sad when it goes. But uh, and so I see the these different techniques as things that I can learn from in order to, you know, not let like the world go and carry me away on these distractions and like all these worries, which ultimately I'm I know that I shouldn't be worrying about them. And and so when thinking about when learning from these prayer techniques, I'm, I just think, yeah, like there's something in it which enables me to remember what's important. And so. But like, what does it like? What does it do for you? Like, what's the benefits go? So, so the prayer has it's several different benefits, and there's several different reasons for doing them. And one is as much as like it's, it's a bit of yoga. It's it's you know you know you've seen the Muslim prayer, you've seen it on TV or on a YouTube video somewhere, maybe in a film somewhere. And you know you're stretching, you're you're, you're stretching, you're bowing down, you're prostrating, you're sitting on it, you're sitting on your knees. For a period of time and then you're standing back up and uh, and and there is a technique to those it's not as simple as like now i'm gonna go on the floor there's a technique of where you bend first and then you go like that and there's there's movements that come with it um and you know it stretches you out and it's good for your joints and all that sort of stuff which is why but really it's about it's about forging that connection with god five times a day and stepping back from whatever like you said stepping back from whatever it is you're doing whether it's a whether you're at work or whether you're dealing with your family or whether you're dealing with your crops as it would have been a lot back in the day you know, whatever it is you're dealing with, you're stepping back from that to take five, 10 minutes, five times a day to just, you know, reconnect, dial in and just say, you know, thank you and appreciate it. And he is my, he's me offering my prayers. And then afterwards you can supplicate as well and ask for more bespoke things that you need. Oh, what's the difference because, with supplication? Because, well, well, the, 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 the prayers yeah. themselves, they're very set. They're, they're rigid. They're, they're, they're more, um, what's the, it's more yeah, ritual. yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so the ritual prayers, whereas afterwards, when you're supplicating, that's that's free, that's free from. <laughs> so you can kind of ask. That's you can. That's where you. That's that's the place where you ask what you want, specifically. What would happen in your uh, congregation, James, if you were like going like, I think from now on you're going to have to, well, not fifty times a day. Even if you said three times a day in the morning at. Uh, in the afternoon and in the evening, just take 10 minutes to think about whatever's most important to you. Like, how do you think that would go down? But like, how do you think that would benefit people? I think there would be a riot. Um, <laughs> my people are very resistant to anything that remotely resembles a religious rule. Um, anything that approaches even a strong suggestion as to something they should do regularly, they will resist it. I don't know. I think some people, though, would find it very valuable. I have a family who have regular daily secular practices that they do with their family, like they have a gratitude practice every evening where they, as a family, express what they're grateful for. And I'm sure that they have other things as well like that. But that's something they've chosen to do. It would not feel comfortable for me to tell them 
to do it. I occasionally recommend, but it's it will very much be in the style of here's something you can try if you can like, if you like to try it and, and uh, it might have these effects. So we just don't do formalized ritual in that way. People are very resistant to it. They like their autonomy. Why is it? I mean, look, the poor question to you guys, why is it that the West, and it is not exclusively a Western thing, but I think it's largely a Western thing um, that you guys have turned your backs on theism, monotheism, you know, dogma dog the dogma bit i understand why have you turned your back on bigotry but, but, come on <laughs> <laughs> but 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 the you know mm. the practice of like you know belief, faith i guess you go first james that that this could be a whole podcast question because like the sociological reasons for the decline of faith in wealthy western democracies is just a huge issue without without, without getting into the sort of like you know, generic, like, because there is no good, you know, without getting into that. <laughs> no, I actually yeah, think yeah. that is the least of it. I honestly think the the arguments against religious belief are the least important bit. I think it's much more broad and sociological. I think, firstly, it's a, a big part is all forms of civic engagement have declined rapidly, mainly since the onset of television. I know it sounds like a, something that an old fogey would say, it's television's fault, but the studies actually show it's really interesting. <laughs> right. There are really interesting studies that suggest that people spending more time at home watching television has massively impacted all sorts of communal civic engagement, particularly the church and things like that. Another thing, I mean, particularly important in America is the association of organized religion with sexism and homophobia, that the fact that American Christianity became so politicized many decades ago and so associated with particularly cultural issues, conservative cultural stances, has made it toxic to younger people who don't accept those cultural views. And so they can't find a place within the traditional religious frameworks. I think that's less true in the UK where the dynamics are slightly different. But I'd say that in the UK, there is a, a large part of it is I get in a lot of discussions with, you know, I've got like uh, vicar friends or, you know, people who work in religious think tanks and they're, you know, going, oh, well, look, if only the hymn books were a different colour or like you stopped talking about this and you started talking about that. I mean, a large part of it is that people don't believe in God, like, you know, without having to get like I'm into the rights and wrongs of that. But and so then, you know, it doesn't really make sense. And I'd, one of the things which behind sort of starting Sunday Assembly for me was just really thinking that it was a shame that we were losing like these vital community hubs, these traditions, these uh, like these links between the past and us, which really are like they're the sort of fiber. I think they're the cartilage of the, which hold us together and. And so, yeah, and so and annoyingly, unlike, uh, let's say, Judaism, where they were like, oh, I mean, sure, you can believe in God if you want to, but still come to synagogue. Like, that's like, they've come and created this way of doing it where the belief isn't as important as the sort of behavior and the belonging. And we were just never able to do that in the UK. And there's, and then another, there's another argument, which is a little less known is that the in the uh, in the in the west of europe compared to the us one of the arguments is that because most of these places have got got state religions 
that actually because you it's like a sort of monopoly you don't have to try hard to like speak the language of people today because you know you've always got your church you've always got this stuff and so you don't try as hard as the people in the US to make it a bit more relevant but uh I think it's something which is really lacking. There's been a few pieces in The Guardian uh, just in the past two days, and there's an op-ed on spiritual hunger people have. Like that that thing you connected to, that feeling, I'd say that it's probably a similar feeling-ish. I don't know, we can't compare to what uh, to what I would feel if I was bobbing up and down in a room and thinking about life and how much it meant to me. Uh, and... You know, that that need to connect with that is fundamental to humans because we've got these minds which no matter what we've got, it, which is earthly, we become dissatisfied with it. There's that like thing of uh, hedonic adaptation. If you've got it, you become as, as you must have had this in your career sometimes. You like go and achieve something and you always said, you always looked at the person who was on live at the Apollo and you were like, oh, well, when I'm on live at the Apollo, Tez is gonna be fine. Well, what more can I want for? I'm, I'm earning money, and then you're like, "Oh God, I'm, I was only on once, and I was only on for five yeah. minutes, yeah. and they got that other fucker who came <laughs> along, and whatever it might be." And and so you need to have something which can hold this. Uh, oh, I wrote it down today. It was amazing on this part. Like we need to have a home for our infinite longing, and you need to find a suitable place to put it, and. Uh, uh, I was going to fucking turn that into a sex joke at the end when it was quite actually a noble thing that I was talking about. And then I just said, you need to find somewhere to put it and really undercut that whole spiel there. Uh, I yeah. know, come on, mate. Women's not <laughs> going to be that sort of discussion. But yeah, so anyway, those are a bunch of reasons. Why do you think when you go and look at non-theistic culture in the UK or the West, what do you think? Why do you think people have stepped away from it? Yeah, I don't. I think I think part of it is 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 what you touched with. I think both of you touched on slightly the sort of the illiberal positions that sometimes the church can have. Obviously, it doesn't chime with how young people view the world today. And also, I think particularly more in the US than here is sort of the way that evangelical churches have you know just basically gone hand in hand with the Republican Party and and the excesses, the worst excesses of that party as well. I think obviously it hasn't helped. But I can't I can't work for the love of me. I can't work it out in terms of like. I get why you'd step away from dogma. And I like, I have a lot of sympathy for the sort of like, I believe in God, but I don't believe in the church. I don't believe that I have a place in the church. I I, I have a lot of sympathy with, with, with that because I get it. And even I have Muslims who are kind of like, I'm like, oh, you know, what sort of Muslim are you? And they're like, oh, I'm just Muslim. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to be in a sort of Sunni Shia camp because I just, I don't, I just hate all that stuff. I just, I just want to be, and I have a lot of sympathy for that. Um, but I also think, yeah, part of it is it's an, it's an old man's game, isn't it? The, the church, even the mosque and stuff. It's an old man game. It's an old man's game. So I can understand why, like, maybe a lot of young women who are finding increasing more amounts of freedom and stuff are like, do I really have a place here? Um, but for me, like, in terms of, like, belief, just in that fundamental belief of, like, is there a God? Like, the world, and I'm sure the exact opposite is true for you. Like, the world doesn't make sense for me without there being a god like you know and as someone who studied biochemistry that was my bachelor's uh there was nothing that i studied in science throughout my bachelor's and stuff that made me even think oh god maybe there isn't maybe, maybe there isn't a god none of it none of it it all made more sense 
the more I, the more I studied. The yeah, I mean, I yeah, for me, I uh, I've sense I, I I always thought that in Sunday assembly, like we we carefully avoided the most boring conversation in this, which is like, is there or isn't there a God? And you're like, actually, that if you look at the stuff which James and I do, and which like your imam, no matter how good he is, does, you're like, we're doing all the same stuff. We'll we'll sort of try our hardest to be good and we'll remind people that you should volunteer and give a bit more than you are now, whatever it might be. But the like, is there or isn't there or whatever it might be ends up being the least uh, interesting part of it. Uh, there's someone just had a little comment there saying that uh, organized religion is uh, too rigid for a lot of people to feel anything. There's a little comment thing. I'm uh, I'm of the different opinion, which is I think the organization is the best part of religion. I'm into the I'm into the organized part, but not the god. In that, like the organized part is the part which like provides. Uh, you know, meals to people who are poor. It goes and is able to check in on little old ladies and help kids who are having a tough time. I'm like, that's the part which I think is uh, is the best. Uh, and then, like, as a, what's it been like then as a, on the stand-up circuit? Has it been weirder, was it weirder being Muslim or weirder believing in God? Because the stand-up circuit is like the most, like, atheist place that you can imagine. Honestly, as soon as someone tells me they're Christian, I'm like, <gasps> <laughs> some solidarity there. Because you know, like, the, the, you know, the, the, there's a few, there's a few Muslims on the yeah. circuit, and they're like, you just take it for granted that they're Muslim. There's a couple of, we don't use the word lapsed, but I would guess non-believing Muslim, like cultural Muslims. As a Muslim on the circuit, I'm very comfortable being Muslim. Like, I'm like, I'm Muslim. I can say I'm Muslim. I can do routines about being Muslim and stuff. But I don't think it's the same for Christians. I, I, was, I was once at the gong, sh I was once at the gong show in the comedy store, <laughs> and so for anyone that doesn't know, the 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 comedy, the King Gong at the comedy store, is a brutal, brutal show, where a comic has to a, a comic has to get on stage and they and they have to last up to five minutes. And there's three cards in the audience, and at any point that the audience member is not enjoying what's happening on stage, they can put a card up. When the third card goes up. A literal gong goes it's off. Brutal. Wow. And the person it's, and it's brutal because because the audience know what they're coming to watch. It can be an absolute bear pit. What was that? Yeah, I, I wanted it. But it's not about me. The story, the story is not about the story's not about me, guys. Um, but once this guy came on, I went, I was I was going to watch a friend, and this guy came on and he went, Hi guys, I'm Christian. All three cards went up and <laughs> I love it. I want to go to this. I'm Christian. Thing. Dun 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 bong. And it was like, it was so funny, but I felt so bad for him. And I was like, that wouldn't have happened if I said, I'm Muslim. Like, they would have they would have at least been gone, all right, well, what? Yeah. Let's hear you out. Well, I mean, I mean they'd be, uh, otherwise they'd, they'd get kicked out. Because you know what? It's, yeah. it's political correctness gone mad, I tell you, fucking <laughs> Tez. What? One, one room. It was, it was <laughs> such, it was such a, well, you wouldn't do it to yeah. them, would you, a moment? And I really felt <laughs> for him at that moment. The, uh, I was like, God, the, the Daily Mail comments are right. <laughs> yeah, I think that, um, weirdly, I often find when I meet religious people, I'm able to, because for me, I have a really hard time expressing my spiritual love of life, which comes from a totally atheist point of view. But I will, you know, just like think about being alive and the fact that I'm going to die and that's it. And I like to read books because it chimes 
like they're the only books which I can find which express the sort of state of mind and body that I get into when I go and think about life and so often when I'm, I'd be like oh yeah you get into this room and you're just doing that on your own oh fuck I can imagine that'd be amazing no there's 400 of you all going around and I can really for me I find that that is because it's I think it speaks to a feeling and like something that you cultivate which is really useful in your life James what, when you're hearing me talk about life like this and like like, I just don't think there's a way of a, a, a language which is that good for expressing it in normal society. Yes, I think that's for a number of reasons. Firstly, because I think a lot of this space has been sort of taken over by religious institutions. You get a lot of people claiming that you can only have those feelings and experiences through religion. And a lot of culture says that even to non-religious people. They say that, well, if you're not religious, you don't get to have all those feelings. And that's not true. And from a kind of secular perspective, all the religions are just human created ways of trying to have these experiences. So it's exactly the wrong way around, actually. The secular was first and the religion came afterwards. But I also think that a lot of people who choose to make being not religious a part of their identity partly don't I mean maybe I'm just speaking for myself I don't like fuzzy words that I don't know exactly what they mean and I don't like fuzzy thinking like I want to be precise and that word spirituality I have no idea what it means and so I'm much more comfortable talking about specific experiences or specific things and I think that the problem is that when people talk in this big grand effusive way I'm like what do you actually mean what are you trying to sell me? You know, my my bullshit detector kicks in and I start to oh, James, you know, back you away. Poor, you poor person imprisoned by words where we're going to the place which is ineffable. You can't put the feeling of the divine into words, Tez. Back me up here. Like, are you going to? Yeah, no, you can't. No, 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 I'm completely with you. It's like James being, are you in love? Have you ever been in love? What I said was, I'm sorry, my mic didn't catch it. Was you bet? But you know, people. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. You said it. You said it. <laughs> <laughs> but there's. But I think those feelings, like there is a place inside. Like, if you go and cultivate your mind, like your, it's not even your mind. Like these practices, and it's beyond words. And it literally is a. There is a part of how we make meaning, which in order to go and put meaning on things, you need to go and be able to point at them, which sort of means that you need to have a type of meaning making structure in your brain, which doesn't actually have a place. And so it's before, it's almost like it's before pointing things out. And so if words are the things you use to point, there's a part of your brain, which is timeless and uh, spaceless and, that's actually what a lot of spiritual experiences feel like. Tez, you and I are nodding along going, yeah, you you, you yeah, don't yeah, need yeah. words. It's, it's, it's sort of there. Uh, yeah, so I think it's an experience thing. But also, like, in, in, in Islam, we can... I think there, there must be a, many Muslims who've probably gone through life without feeling what you're describing, Sanderson. And, and it's, in Islam, it's like, because it's quite structured and quite rigid, it's like, well, no, you go and do your five daily prayers, you do your practices, you pray, you, you give to charity, you give your alms, you know, you go on the hajj once in a lifetime if it's, if, if, it's, if, if it's possible, if you can afford it and the time allows it. And you can probably do all those things without having a spiritual experience. I remember when I was, when I was on the hajj, when I was on the hajj in 2015, 
Um, it's an, it's an amazing, incredible experience. But I can imagine, I can imagine going there, doing what you need to do, doing the rituals, doing the prayers, doing, you know, going, walk, walking around the loops that you're meant to do and doing all of that and coming back from it feeling quite empty. I can imagine that that has happened to people because when you go to these places, even a place as amazing as Mecca, you have to put work into it. You, can't, you don't just turn up and suddenly like, lifted by angels no you have to put work into it you have to train your mind to be able to let go a bit and and just be like right i'm in and live in the moment and and get carried away with everything that's happening with you and and tune into what's happening around you and stuff if you're just narrow-minded thinking i will turn up and i will automatically be lifted by angels and and have a spiritual awakening it won't happen and and it's also there's four million people around you're getting pushed and shoved around you know i i was <laughs> i've never felt more british than when i was in the hajj <laughs> Because the rest of the world has no concept of queuing. And it was just, you know, and there's 3 million people around and you're trying, you know, it's a difficult thing to organize 3 million people from every culture, from every culture fathomable, fathomable in the world. Your Britishness kicks in and you're like, there's a queue. <laughs> and um, so I can imagine you can what just- What does the Quran there. start with? A queue, mate, make one. <laughs> I know it doesn't. <laughs> So I was saying you can you can go then and not have a spiritual experience because you're just frustrated by everything and and you're too narrow-minded to think that I'm just going to turn up and it's going to work out for me and stuff. But you know you got to put the work in and and spirituality and transcendenceness and having these awakenings it requires work. You can't just it's like being good at sport. You can't just turn up and be good at sport. That's one thing. The person we had on our the person we last interviewed uh, who was she did some writing about uh, what this um, a. Uh, anthropologist who went and studied uh, Muslim, Yemeni Muslim women's prayers and speaking to them about what they got from the different ones. And then, oh yeah, and that's actually that one when you mentioned going freestyle. No, it's the ones which are just through the day and sort of what that's like to just also have these things where you're just checking in or you're just sort of trying to refocus your mind. Uh, but, uh, but when you were sort of speaking about that, I really what I sort of thought of was a difference between the Church of England, some sort of Church of England style spiritualities where you go there, you say the words, you shake the hands of the vicar, you know, and then you go and see them next week. But like, it doesn't really interfere much in your life. And then it doesn't actually have much sense of that experience uh, of the transcendent, like that felt experience of infinite love or communing with the unknowing or that place where there are no words and all of these things which have been at the heart of sort of religious practices those those sorts of experiences and i think that is for me that's one of the reasons why for doing this whole thing is that i'm just like there is this way of being alive which is just great and it really helps you. And I'm constantly trying to find the words to try to to try to do that because I go and like hearing you talk about it, you get so much from it. I do, I do. But also like, and in Islam, you can have that as well because the, the five daily prayers, you know, they are, they, are, they are a ritual. You're saying the same thing in every single prayer and you know, the, the prayers slightly vary in length depending on the time of day. But there are times where I've, you know, you, where I've gone through the motions where I've just gone right now and you're going, oh God, it's time for, it's time for that prayer now. It gets late in the day and it's, you're kind of thinking to bed and you're like, oh, I've still got to pray though. And then like, right now I've got to go upstairs and wash and then come down and pray. And then that's going to take, that's, that one's four minutes plus two minutes plus three minutes. So that's what, 
do I take 30 seconds off each one? So each one's three and a half. You know, you do, yeah. you do have that yeah. as well, where you sometimes go through the motions and you're in the middle of it. And we have things in each in each prayer, you have a thing called rakat, which is like a unit. So you have a unit. So you have, to have two, three or four units, never more, never less. And, um, and if you've got four units, sometimes you'll get to the second or third unit and you're like, mid-prayer, you're like, how many have I done? And you're like, oh man. So oh. when you're washing your hair and you're like, is did that, I use that, the shampoo that, or that, conditioner? Is yeah, it... Is, is that two or three? Does that, uh, and then you're like, you either just like thinking of three, I'm going to trust myself, or you just start again and you're like, I'm just going to abandon this one and start again because I wasn't, I wasn't concentrating. I wasn't putting the work in because you don't just automatically go Allahu Akbar and then suddenly you're switched in. You've got to work. You've got to learn to switch your mind off and be in the moment, which is, which is hard, especially when you do, if you do repeated practice five times a day, it becomes harder to then concentrate on that and not take it for granted and and give it the mean give it its meaning every single but time i also think that's one of the reasons why i like looking to i think there's so much to learn from these traditions because often you know there is a state which all people are in which in religious practices gets spoken about as like i'm feeling far from god or i'm feeling far from uh, my spirituality or whatever it might be and that's like when you're you're just feeling a bit you feel disconnected you're, you're not quite yourself and and then what's interesting is like actually having something which you're going to do nevertheless is when, you know, that's the time that you have that of like, that's the time when there's that scaffolding there to go and help you. Uh, is there, is there anything, cause we've had like a really broad, by the way, if you're listening to this, James has disappeared, not because he just really, we sort of said anything to him, which is really mean. He had a headache, so he's got to go. It's been, he's been really uh, struggling on through. I thought I, I thought maybe his husband. Had yeah. Oh no! Yeah. You, you weren't you weren't loud enough, yeah. mate. <laughs> oh no! James is back. There we go. Is there any part of the sort of experience of Muslim or your sort of faith which, like, you feel is like would be good if like other people could go and learn for it, or like there's one thing where you're like, oh, I just wish people had the community, or I wish they had this like book or whatever it might be? Like, is there one thing that you think the, the secular world could, would, would benefit from? I mean, our sense of community is obviously tied in with our religion, but it's also cultural, I guess. You know, being, being South Asian. I remember my, my grandma passed on in um, the end of 2018. And, you know, I've been, in, I've been living in London for a long time. And I, I'd moved back to Blackburn at that point, but I was still in and out. I was probably spending probably three quarters of my time away from home. And I remember when she passed away, um, you know, she was, you know, she was, she was on an age, she was at the right age. She wasn't, you know, and, she, and she'd been in it for a while. So it was, it was sad, but not a tragedy. Um, and I remember how much the community, you know, she was very respected, very loved. You know, she was a powerful, strong woman who people loved around, around, the, around, around the area. But I remember that sense of community that kicked in, in the mosque. You know, there were people, you know, we were, there were people coming to pray for her and, and be reflective for her. And, and you'd, you'd feed them twice a day. Um, and there'd be people coming in to volunteer to do that. So the family wouldn't have the burden to do that. So we'd, the family would pay for it, but you had other people coming in that would get sort of the de delivery out from the restaurant and people would come and set it up in the mosque and people would lay out everything so that people can eat and stuff and people to serve and stuff. And the family would chip in, but there were people there to help out to make sure we didn't carry the entire burden of it. Um, in, our, in, 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 our, in our community, in, in, in Blackburn, we've got five connected mosques that are part of the same community. And within it, we pay a certain amount every single year and because of that subsidy whoever dies it takes care of the funeral expenses because as we know funerals are very expensive uh but it's literally like 30 pounds a year per person 
uh, and that takes care of you know whoever then dies we pay for the funeral costs and obviously if, if it's my turn to go then that will take care of me and it saves my mum having just you know find two thousand pounds or whatever so there is a real sense especially around like muslims come together so well in death like it is that's probably when i feel the most spiritual and more most closest to my faith is around is around death because then you also and also you feel you think about yourself and you feel about your own you think about your own mortality and and what that means and stuff yes it's the big ones isn't it births weddings and funerals is is when, is when i feel the biggest connection a bit of a cliche but but yeah definitely but also fasting you know giving giving to charity we, we have a thing in islam where two and a half percent of your wealth not of your earnings of your wealth of, of your so is this uh, like not before tax it's no it's total wealth each year no it's total wealth Ouch. yeah total wealth include yeah total wealth you give to charity uh you give to those in need uh yeah so it's not like oh i only earn, i only earn 15 grand this year but actually have 15 million in the bank no it's that 15 million that you have to give a two percent of not not the 15 grand you earn this year um you know my, my, minus any debtors so you know if you've got whatever whatever bills you're paying that month you know minus that but i'd yeah. always thought that i was, like the muslims got away quite easily because i was like i've I'd seen it 2.5 percent. i was like oh well, that's all right no 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 they've realized that they've, they've already on the whole inequality thing they're like no i can see how some people would get away with this yeah uh, and well look oh sorry uh mate i just want to say thanks so much for this conversation i asked you at the end if there's one thing and then you ended up listing so many things and i think that uh, people listening to this conversation are going to get uh, an amazing insight into something which, well, I mean, judging from you, said that you don't, probably don't get asked these questions that often in this much detail. But uh, you've also, yeah, no, you've referred good. to the book. I loved your book. I should have mentioned that more. It Thank was. You. Uh, have you read it? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I loved it. hearing, again, like I've got a specific angle to this, but, but it was just like those moments when, which I didn't get of, uh, and by the way, my first girlfriend went to uh, Blackburn College. So, hey ho, I was just oh, wow. like, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, wow. that's the only reason I know. I was like, oh, Darwin, that's where Tahira used to live. Uh, that's not my ex, that's one of her friends. It was like just those incidents where you just like gone, like encountered racists just at school was just like really horrific. Cause, and I thought because you wrote it, wrote it in this tone of being very teenage and very open, when that happened, I was just like, oh. Yeah, it was weird because we lived at a time where it was just taken for as part of growing up. I didn't, I didn't really deep what it meant to undergo those experiences, and a lot of them I'd forgotten until I started writing the book. There was that moment where the moment I was walking back from the library with my sister, and we got confront, confronted in that car park. I'd forgotten about that. My sister, to, my sister's five years younger than me, and she told me about it. Like she was, she reminded me of it, and it was like, oh god, my brain had just completely forgotten about that. It just just taken it out and dumped it somewhere and then she she reminded me which is good for the story but i was like god you still remember that that's mad um because obviously we had an effect on her for her to have remembered it um but yeah but but yeah so, so it's called like the secret diary of a british muslim i don't know if people can see that but the secret diary of a british muslim aged 13 and three quarters and it comes out in 10 days on my birthday on the 8th of april and uh, yes yeah, about my life growing up in the 90s as a young british muslim in blackburn uh, as a kid, really, uh, and, and it goes up to September 2001, which is a date I'm sure which will ring in many years. Um, um, I do, as sometimes you've read the book, I yeah. do have an alibi, <laughs> quite, quite, quite a watertight yeah, yeah, alibi. Yeah. Um, and um, 
but yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm really excited for people to read it because obviously there's the stories you touched upon. Obviously, there's a lot of fun stories in there as well, which you know about about growing up and and getting run over by a car and being unaffected by it because I'm because I'm yeah, a superhero. Yeah, yeah. You know, was... uh, it was super <laughs> fun and uh, yeah. Well, look, Tez, thanks so much, dude. Lovely to reconnect and uh, all the best in everything. I like seeing your success has been given me huge pleasure i haven't spoken about man like mobine which is also great i've basically done taken all of these sort of like showbiz elements of your amazing career and just been like talked talk to me about the type of food which is served at Eid and <laughs> <laughs> but i but i love that and so uh thanks so much thank you man how great was that conversation? I totally loved it. I, because we go and record these a bit after, I've now realised that I've blanked on the name of that ceremony, which is the one where it, which happens in the dark and you're sort of praying together and there's the sort of like these uh, call and responses. That sounds like an amazing experience. Uh, and yeah, it would be, so powerful to sort of do that in a community and you know those discussions of the impact of praying five times a day the impact of connecting to what is important to you in an embodied way with your community is something which I'm totally fascinated by uh, for people who've been listening uh, to other podcasts I brought it up with Kai Whiting who is the stoic philosopher who converted to islam and uh, i'm really fascinated by these podcasts and whenever i have the conversations with religious people about like, almost what would be called the phenomenology their like felt experience of their practices i find some of those conversations the most interesting because you sort of start to get it at a physical level and i'm also really interested that when speaking to religious people about it they find it such a weird question to ask to like go and think about it this way. So, uh, I, yeah, uh, it's not a conversation that you hear very often. So uh, there we have it. Uh, I am going to be heading off on holiday soon. There will still be a podcast. We'll go and get it up uh, to be published uh, sort of uh, remotely, scheduledly. And uh, yeah, as far as I just want to say thanks to you for listening and to all of our listeners, because it is so interesting having these conversations and sort of, I hope, bringing these things to you as well. Uh, so um, thanks to Tez, thanks to James Croft, thanks to the producer Mav Shetty, and thanks to Roman Rapak and Miro Shot for the music that you're listening to right now.